So um, little boy answered the telephone. There was a telemarketer on the other end. She asked, could she speak to his mom? He said, or she asked, is your mom there? And he said, yes. Well, can I speak to her, please? No, she's busy. He said, well, is your dad there? He said, no. Or yes. Well, can I speak to him? No, he's busy. And then she said, well, is there anybody else there? He said, yes. The fire department. Well, can I speak to them? No, they're busy. He said, well, is anybody else there? He said, yes. Police department. Well, can I speak to them? No, they're busy. She became a little concerned by this time. She said, well, son, can you tell me what exactly is going on there? What are they doing? They're looking for me. You know, some of our kids just turn out to be brats, don't they? I mean, they, they really do. And, you know, we, we want them not to be brats. We, we want them to be good kids. We want them to, to grow up and be responsible citizens and, and live good lives and help other people and do all, all those sort of things. But we've got to take some responsibility. You know, you, it'd be great if you could just take a syringe and just shoot some responsibility into them shoot good behavior into them and then turn them loose and they would be perfect kids. But that does not happen. You know, we're all born with this sin nature. And we weren't perfect when we were little kids. And your kids are not going to be perfect and my kids are not. And without some guidance along the way, none of us is going to grow to be what we need to be. You know, why did the teenage chicken cross the road? Because his parents told him not to, right? And, and there's going to be this rebellion, and we, we have to teach and train. And today, you know, we're in our series, uh, Engage, and we're going through this brochure, and today, this is the word I've been looking for, because it's the last one. And we've been going through these three panels, Engage Jesus, Engage Bristol, engage the next generation. And that's our three-year plan, that we want to get better in all these areas. Engage Jesus, that's discipleship. Engage Bristol, that's outreach. And engage the next generation, that's the future of the church. And we are working uh, through our plan, and we're beginning to implement some of the things. And what we want to do is we want to be better in all those areas so we can make God's church better. This final word on this last panel of engage the next generation is entrust. I want to read what it says. We will entrust the next generation as we disciple them. We desire to create a culture that develops the next generation through mentoring relationships and leadership opportunities. And so we're going to finish up this series today, and we're going to think today a little bit about this next generation and how... You know, we've already talked about connecting with them, and we've already talked about investing in them. And today we're going to talk a little bit about entrusting the next generation. And so the question that I want to raise today is, how can we help develop the next generation for the future? You know what? You better develop them. They're going to be the ones that choose your nursing home when you grow old. 
They're, they're going to they're gonna be the ones that make a lot of decisions for you when you get to where you can't make your own decisions. And we need them to be responsible. We need them to, to uh, not be brats. And if we're going to teach them how not to be a brat, it's going to take some effort on our part. I'd like for you to turn to the book of Acts today. Uh, we're going to look here. There's a young man in the Bible named Timothy. I don't know. Anybody ever heard of Timothy before in the Bible? Not very many hands going up. Uh, Timothy is a, is a pretty prominent figure in the Bible. He was uh, connected to the Apostle Paul. He was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. And Paul found this young man, and he connected with him, and he invested in him. And we're going to see what Paul did and how he worked with this young man and what happened uh, in his life and maybe we can learn something that will guide us as we reach out to the next generation read with me Acts chapter 16 verse 1 Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer but whose father was a Greek the believers at Lystra in, in Iconium spoke well of him Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So here we are. Paul has this... Uh, this young man named Timothy that he's engaging with. And the first thing I want us to think about is Paul saw something in Timothy useful for ministry. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but Timothy is mentioned 25 times in the New Testament. I never would have thought that until I looked this up to, to see how prominent a figure he was. Now, <clears throat> now, you think about that. Paul had another traveling companion named Silas, He's only mentioned 21 times in the Scripture. And Luke, who was a traveling companion, is only mentioned three times in the Scripture. And then there's Barnabas. He's mentioned 33 times, but he's the only one mentioned more than Timothy of Paul's traveling companions in the Bible. Of course, the Apostle Paul, famous guy, wrote one-third of the New Testament, prominent figure in the early church, and establishing the church. And Paul saw something in Timothy that was useful for ministry. In fact, you may not know this, six of Paul's letters, he mentions Timothy as being right there with him, maybe helping even to write these letters. Second uh, Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, Philemon. Uh, it was practice of the day when you wrote a letter to somebody. You gave your name in the beginning who was writing. And, and, and Paul says all six times, Paul and Timothy, as though Timothy had a hand in writing the letter. This mention that we see in Acts chapter 16 is at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. Paul took three missionary journeys that are recorded in the New Testament in the book of Acts and then he had one more that's not recorded in the Bible that's been handed down from history 
We believe he actually went to Spain and took the gospel there. But, but Paul mentions Timothy and took Timothy with him on this second missionary journey. Now, Timothy's from Lystra. Paul is, uh, is back in Lystra now for a second visit, uh, beginning his second missionary journey. Uh, perhaps when Paul was there the first time, maybe he baptized Timothy. Maybe Timothy was just a young man. Some believe that it was five years apart from the two times that Paul went to Lystra. Maybe, uh, maybe he had been a, a young teenager and Paul had baptized him. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, calls Timothy my son whom I love. If you go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, my true son in the faith, he says. Uh, we don't believe he was actually Paul's son. We believe he was sort of like a spiritual father to Timothy. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 1 and Hebrews 13, 23, he calls Timothy a brother. So he was probably not his natural-born son, but his son in the faith and his brother in Christ. Timothy's mother and grandmother were also prominent. They're mentioned in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Uh, his grandmother's name was Lois, and his mother's name was Eunice. And it says that Timothy learned the Scriptures from them, that they had taught him the Scriptures. Of course, they were Jewish by faith, and then when Christianity came along, remember, Christianity's really new when Paul began his ministry, and they converted to Christianity. They believed Jesus was the Christ and the Messiah that fulfilled the Jewish scriptures. Now, it also mentions that Timothy's father was a Greek. That means he was non-Jewish. He didn't practice the Jewish faith. And there's something here that's kind of puzzling. Paul talks about having Timothy circumcised. And he says he did it because of the Jews who lived in that area. We don't know exactly what that means, but probably as we speculate, and we know a little bit about Jewish history. Uh, um, Timothy had been raised by a Jewish mother and a Jewish grandmother, and apparently his father maybe was absent, but he never was circumcised, as was the practice for the Jews. And maybe Paul said, if we're going to take Timothy with us, and we're, we're going to say he's Jewish, and we're going to try to reach Jewish people and explain to them that Jesus is the Christ, we need to make sure that Timothy is practicing everything as a Jew so that he will, he will appear as a Jew who has been converted to Christianity and they will believe his testimony and his witness. That's not a requirement to be circumcised to be a Christian if you're a Gentile. But Jewish people still follow, a lot of them, even though they believe Jesus is the Christ, they still follow the Jewish laws and practices in the scripture. The main thing is Paul saw something in Timothy. He looked at Timothy and he said, here's a young man. He's trainable. He's teachable. I can, I can use this young man in my ministry. You know, if we're, if we're going to do that, we got to really look at the next generation. We got to look at some of these young people and see the good in them and think about what they're doing. So much was Paul impressed with Timothy that he took him on a trip. You know, Paul is connecting with Timothy. He's investing in Timothy. 
And we're going to see he does even more with Timothy. You know, you can do that too. You know, we better be doing that. You look at this generation now with the influences that they're under and with the people that are trying to influence them, you know, uh, you think about where they can go. You know, you got popular people on the Internet all day long that are calling themselves influencers. Is that really who we want to influence on our kids? Or do we want to be the influencer? Do we want to influence? And the peer pressure that they face. There was this 12-year-old boy. He was with his mother. They went to the grocery store. They got ready to check out. And when they got ready to check out, the, the cashier was ringing up the groceries. And she looked at the eggs. And she said, oh, ma'am, I'm sorry. There's a couple of busted eggs in here. And looked at the bread and said, your bread has been smashed. And the mom immediately looked at that 12-year-old boy. You know, what's up with that? The boy did like that. I, I don't know. I didn't have anything to do with it. And so they rang him up. She said, I guess I'll just have to make French toast when we get home. And apparently that's what you do when your bread's smashed and your eggs are broken. And they bagged him up, and Mom headed out toward the door. And the boy leaned back and said, My best friend told me if I smashed the eggs and smashed the bread, Mom would make French toast when we got home. It worked. You see the influence that they have. You know, they're being influenced from all kinds of people around them. Why can't we be an influence? We're God's people. God has called us to look at people and see something in them and desire to go and work. You know, first we've got to look at our own kids. We look at, at our kids, maybe our teenagers, maybe young adults that we're still regularly in contact with now there comes a point when they grow up and you live in different towns and things and maybe you don't have quite as much influence on them but we can have influence and if our kids are gone what about the neighborhood kids you know when we're out in the yard working why don't I invite a kid hey would you come help me rake these leaves I'll give you 10 bucks and we have a chance to influence them we will have a chance to talk to them or maybe we get them to cut the grass or maybe we have them come over on Saturday morning and make them French toast just to talk to them. Especially the ones that we know don't have a good influence in their lives. We can befriend and begin to work and plant seeds in their lives. You know, we gotta, we got to be looking. We can see something. There's something to be seen in the youth and the young adults of today. Paul took it a step further. He just didn't see something in Timothy. Paul discipled Timothy to help develop him. You think about something for a minute. He had Timothy involved in six of the letters that he wrote in the New Testament. I don't know how much influence Timothy had in that, but Paul felt it that he had to list Timothy with him as he wrote those letters to those churches. Now you think about Timothy being side by side with the great Apostle Paul. And here he is learning from him. Uh, when Paul went to Corinth uh, to work with the church there, he had to work as a tent maker to get income to pay his way. But eventually, Timothy came to Corinth too and joined Paul. And when he did, Timothy took over the job as the tent maker 
And Paul gave his attention full-time to preaching and teaching the people. Timothy was part of the team. He was helping Paul to spread the gospel. Though he wasn't actually doing it, he was providing for Paul so he could do the teaching that he needed to do. Paul worked with Timothy. He trained him. He mentored him. He discipled him. Listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.10. You, that's Timothy, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. Paul taught him all that. Paul had poured his life into Timothy to train him. Not to mention the fact that he wrote two letters to him that made it to the New Testament, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. They were written to Timothy as he is working in the church at Ephesus to correct some problems in that church. And in that letter, Paul gave him advice. He gave him uh, correction. He encouraged him. He gave some teaching. He gave some leadership training as to how he could develop that church, how he could get that church back on track. Uh, Paul used Timothy in a mighty way, and he discipled him. You know, we've got this three-year plan, and we are working to be better disciples. That's the first part of that plan, engage Jesus. Be, be better disciples of Jesus so that we can be disciples who make disciples, right? And we're not just going to put that out there and talk about it. We're going to really work on it. In fact, our elders have a book that we're going to read together and we're going to study. We have our first meeting Thursday night. And the last six chapters of that book are all about mentoring and discipling and teaching and training and reaching other peoples. And we're going to start with those last six chapters. Now, we're going to read the whole book, but we're going to meet together and we're going to talk through those chapters because we want to learn how we can be better mentors and disciplers, if that's even a word, and, and how we can do a better job uh, we think it starts with us. Now, we are, uh, uh, we, we've got life groups started, and each of those life groups is going to read through a book. The name of that book is Essential Guide to Becoming a Disciple. And in that book, it teaches how to reach somebody and how to, uh, how to disciple somebody. And all of our life groups, there's 50-some people signed up to be part of a life group are going to go through that book and they're going to learn how they can be better disciples and especially better disciples that make disciples. That's what we want to be as a church because Jesus said, go and make disciples. We want to do what Jesus said. You know, I don't think it's enough. When I die and get to heaven, I look at Jesus and Jesus said, Mark, why didn't you make more disciples? Well, Jesus, you know, it just really wasn't my thing. I, I didn't really have time to do that. I, did, I didn't want to do it. And Jesus said, but I said go and make disciples. I was talking to you. I don't want to have to face him. And I think we all should look at this and decide, what is my part? How can I help? And perhaps you don't even realize the impact that you can have on the lives of young people today. I read an article this week 
The Secret Service completed a safe school initiative, which was a study of school shootings that had taken place. Uh, they did this several years ago. They went all the way back for, to 1974. They found 37 incidents involving 41 attackers who actually went in and shot up schools. And they were doing a study to see if they could find a pattern. And what they found out, that all these guys were really from different backgrounds. There was no real uh, significant thing in their backgrounds that stood out. But what they did find is that every one of those attackers, there was an adult who saw in them something that was just not right. And most of them, there were at least three adults that felt that there was something that was just not right with these kids. What they also found out about each of these kids is that they all, you would think that they would be the loner type, but all of these kids had tried to be involved in groups in their schools. And most of the time they got rejected. Now we don't know why they got rejected, but they said as a result of that, they felt feelings of alienation and persecution, and that's why they went in and shot up the schools. I wonder what would have happened if somebody would have said, you know, here's a kid that seems to be struggling a little bit. I'm going to put my arm around this kid. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to make it a point to mentor him a little bit as, as I can find opportunity. I'm going to see something in him, and maybe I can make a difference. I wonder what would have happened. You know, usually what we do is we say, mm, that kid's kind of weird. He's, he's evil. We better keep our distance. I want you to consider some statistics that this article brings out. Boys get expelled from preschool nearly five times more than girls. Elementary school boys are diagnosed with learning disorders four times as often as girls. By the eighth grade, huge number of boys read below basic uh, level. Males graduate high school at lower rates and attend college right out of high school at lower rates than girls do. Young men are three times more likely to kill themselves than young women. Somewhere in the world, there is a young man, and he's crying out, even though he's not saying it verbally, will somebody please mentor me? Will somebody disciple me? Will somebody take me under their wing and help me? Guys, it's us. If their parents are not doing it, if the world is not doing it, you're going to have some influencer on the Internet doing it. Is that what we want? We need to reach the next generation. We need to look and see how we can get ourselves involved in their lives. Paul took this young man, Timothy. He saw something in him. He discipled this young man. And then look at what he did. Paul entrusted Timothy with specific kingdom tasks. First thing he did was, Timothy, come on, join me in this journey. We're, we're going we're gonna to go for a little walk here, thousands of miles. And we're going to learn and we're going to study together. Now, one thing I want you to know, Timothy was not perfect. Not by any stretch of the imagination. And in fact, Paul wrote first and second Timothy because there were some things that he needed to, to give Timothy counsel on. One thing he said, I command you, 
fight the battle well. Why would he command him to do something in a letter if he wasn't doing it well? It's because he wasn't doing it well. And he needed to be firm with Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I urge you to pray for all people. And Paul lists some people that are not Christian. Maybe Timothy was just focusing on the Christians. And Paul's saying, look, Timothy, you've got to pray for everybody. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Paul had sent Timothy into the church at Ephesus to straighten out some problems. He says here, he's a young man. I can imagine Timothy had a hard time with everybody looking down. You're just a kid. Who are you to tell me? He's telling Timothy, stand up. Be a man. Uh, don't let people look down on you. Tell them, I've been trained by the Apostle Paul. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Don't ne neglect your gift. Uh, there's a lot of scripture that indicates Timothy's gift was probably uh, public speaking, preaching. And maybe he hadn't been doing as much of that. Paul's trying to encourage him to do it. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. These instructions, uh, keep these instructions without partiality and favoritism. You know, a lot of times when we're young people, it's easy to stick with just our favorite people. And Paul's saying, look, Timothy, you've got to branch out. You, got, you can't show favoritism now. You're, you're big time here. You're working in a church, and you've got you to gotta deal with everybody. And on and on it goes. Take a little wine for your stomach. Maybe Timothy's stomach was always messed up because he's, he's got this inferiority complex because he's young and he's dealing with older people in the church. Uh, and on and on. Flee the evil desires of your youth. Maybe he's still struggling a little bit with lust or, or wanting to go out at night and party a little bit or whatever. I don't know. But Paul is instructing him. Timothy's not perfect. And Paul's mentoring him. He's coaching him up. But listen to some of the things, the responsibilities that Paul gave Timothy. Acts chapter 17, verse 14. Paul was forced to leave Berea, one of the places where they established the church. But he left Timothy there, along with Silas, to minister to that church in his absence. 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 9. Timothy is sent to Thessalonica to encourage that church in the faith. That means the church was kind of falling apart. And he sent Timothy over there to pull them back together. Acts chapter 19, verse 22. Uh, news of a disturbance broke out in the church at Ephesus. And Paul sent Timothy there. Uh, go over here, find out what the problem is, and work on it. Straighten it out. Acts 20, verse 4 and 5. Timothy was among a group that Paul chose to go to Jerusalem with him, knowing that Paul may be stoned to death when he got there. But he chose Timothy to be by his side and to go with him and work on that. Colossians 1, 1. Timothy was a companion of Paul when he was imprisoned. Now, he was not imprisoned with Paul, but he was there with him, and he was able to visit Paul and minister to his needs. First uh, and Second Timothy, as I said, they were both written to Timothy uh, as he was sent to minister to the church at Ephesus because of the problems that they had. Paul entrusted him with some major Christian work to, to help uh, strengthen the church part of mentoring and training and discipling is entrusting some responsibility 
to those that we train and minister and disciple to. It's to, to help them become all that they can be. You know, the great philosopher Socrates once said, Fellow citizens, why do you turn and scrape every stone to gather wealth and take so little care of your children to whom one day you must relinquish it all? You know, you're trying to gather all this stuff up in this life and then you're going to turn it over to kids you hadn't trained how to deal with it. We need to mentor. We need to disciple. We need to entrust some, some things with them and hold them accountable and responsible so they can grow. Let's face it, you're not going to live forever. I'm not going to live forever. And I'm finding out very quickly I cannot do the things that I used to do. And if I don't mentor somebody and train somebody and bring them along, what I do will be for nothing because there will be nobody there to take over behind me. So let's work while we can. Let's see something in our young people. Let's engage with them and mentor and disciple them. And then let's entrust them as we seek to build the church. Let's, let's let them take the baton and begin to run. Here's our connection. Engaging with the next generation by entrusting them with specific tasks strengthens the kingdom for the future. You know, that's what our three-year plan is really all about. It's about strengthening God's church for the future. Specifically, this church, this congregation here in Bristol. It's God's people. It's God's church. And this whole series and this plan is about trying to, to guide this church. Not so we can make sure we don't have to close the doors. No, we want to strengthen it so it can expand for future success. John MacArthur is a Christian author. He's a speaker at conferences all over the United States. He is a, he is a, a, a sound Christian teacher. And MacArthur tells about a time when he was in college, he ran on the relay team. And on this particular relay team that he ran on, he was the second runner. You know, and the big thing about a relay race is that you have to learn how to hand off the baton. It's run in four legs. He ran the 400-meter race, and one runner would run 100 meters, then hand off the baton. The next runner would run the next 100 and then the next, the next hundred, and the next, the next hundred. And you have a winner. And the big key to the relay race, you had to be fast, but you also couldn't lose time handing off the baton. So there's a point where this runner's running up, the next runner starts running, and they hand off the baton to save time. And they had practiced their team. And they had their fastest guy up first, because their strategy was, we're going to build a lead, and then John was the slowest on the team. He was going to run second. So hopefully, by, by the time he lost ground to the other runners, the other guy would have made enough that they would still be ahead. And then the last two guys were the second and the third fastest, and they could carry them on to victory. And so they start running this relay. First guy gets a good lead. The handoff of the baton between the first and second. John got the baton. It was smooth. Couldn't have been any better. John runs. Then he goes to hand off the baton to the third guy. And that guy gets the baton. Perfect 
looks like they're going to win the race. And the third guy's running. He gets about halfway down, and he falls over in the grass. And they think, what happens? And they go running over there, and they look to see, you know, are you hurt? Uh, what's going on? Do you, do you pull a hamstring? Do you sprain an ankle? What's happening? No, I'm all right. I just didn't feel like running anymore. The other guys blew up. John said, one guy said, it's not okay. You can't do that. Do you realize the effort we have put into training for this? And you're not in this by yourself. John MacArthur then writes this. I thought often about that moment in relation to our duty as believers. We are supposed to take the truth that was handed down to us by our ancestors in Christian faith and run with it. Not aimlessly, but always pressing on toward the goal. So we can hand off the faith intact and uncorrupted to the next generation. And he's right. Jesus told us to go make disciples. If we're going to do that, we've got to hand off the faith to the next generation. That's what God has called us to do. Let's be a church that says, you know, we're going to make every effort to do this. And we're going to engage Jesus so we can become the disciples that we need to be. And we're going to engage Bristol so we can reach out to our community and let them know there's a God that loves them. And we're going to engage the next generation so we can build solid ground for the future of God's church here at Central. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for the many blessings you have given us. You have blessed us so richly. And you have given us a great church, a great place to worship here. A church unified, a church desiring to do what you would have us do. But Lord, we pray that you help us be much more intentional as we go forward about doing the things that you've called us to do so that we can engage Jesus better. And we can engage Bristol better. And we can engage the next generation better so that we can bring glory and honor to you. So it's my prayer today that you would instill in us a desire to be all these things. Just as you said, I become all things to all men in order that I might save some. So give us your guidance. Give us your direction. Give us a heart for being the people, the disciples that you want us to be. Disciples who make disciples. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.